Welcome to the Hereby Call podcast, where we focus on preparing the called and reminding the returned by sharing life-changing experiences from serving the Lord. Sit back and relax because you're listening to the best podcast of this dispensation. It was just incredible. And so like for any missionaries that are preparing themselves, like you do not have to know you know, all about those principles and you don't need to know the ins and outs of every single story. Like I had read the book of Mormon cover to cover one time uh, before I left on my mission. Um, but like, if you're worried about really knowing the gospel and everything, like don't, because you, you are your biggest convert on your mission. You will, you will have the opportunity to really, uh, you know, figure those things out. And I'm just really grateful that I had loving companions who didn't judge me. Right. Yeah. Welcome back. It's Jordan and Zach. And today we are joined by Dalton Bruff. Dalton, how you doing? Good. How are you guys? We're doing great. We are especially excited. Thank goodness. And I guess not thank goodness to the coronavirus, but there's some people that are in town and Dalton's one of them. Um, Dalton, what is the name of the mission that you served in? I served in the Australia Adelaide mission. And backing up, like before you even got your call, like what made you want to serve a mission? Yeah, it's a really good question. I, I mean, grew, I grew up in an LDS family and so there was really no question in, in my mind growing up whether or not I was going to serve a mission. Um, I come from a family of five boys, so it's me. I've got four brothers, no sisters. Uh, both of my parent, parents served missions and then all three of my older brothers. My, By the way, my oldest brother is Jordan and my next oldest brother is Zach. I didn't know this. So we have Jordan and Zach. <laughs> That's yeah. That's crazy. Crazy. This is Jordan and Zach. You're I'm just like, hanging out oh. with your brothers, man. Yeah, another exactly. fun fact, Zach and I served in the same mission and even in the same areas, but he went home right when I got there. Yeah. So a little overlap there. Fun fun fact. I didn't know that until you walked in. That's it's cool. A small world. It's You're a small blessed world. Blessed to be touched by a bro. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, uh, yeah. So I had, uh, Jordan served a mission, Zach served a mission, my, my next brother and my little brother, we all served missions. And so, and then I mentioned my parents. And so, you know, all seven people in my family ended up serving missions. And so it was very much a, you know, uh, I don't want to say this in the wrong way, but it was kind of an expectation that you're mm-hmm. going to serve a mission. Um, now when you got there and, and you know, the process leading up to that might've been a little bit different for each of us, but, um, you know, definitely always knew that that was going to be in the cards for me someday. How, how would you describe your testimony before your mission? Um, full of faith. And what I mean by that is there's a big smile. when he says <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. So I think this is one of the things that I took away from my mission. I think we'll get into this a lot, you know, later, but, um, I had a testimony that was built almost entirely on faith. And what I mean by that is there was not a lot of knowledge to support that faith. You know, I feel like if, if you've got knowledge on one end of the scale and faith on the other end of the scale, um, you know, the more knowledge you get, the less faith you have to have. Right. Um, and vice versa, you know, the more faith you have, the less knowledge you have. And so, um, I, I always had a belief that the church was true and I had no reason to doubt that. But, um, I think going on a mission helped me increase my knowledge, um, so that I wasn't solely reliant on faith, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so I would say, you know, I was always very, uh, optimistic about, you know, the beliefs and doctrine of the church, but going on a mission helped me to bridge that gap. Awesome. So we've never had anyone from Australia on the podcast. We're really excited to have you. Yeah. 
I don't know anything about Australia other than yeah. We met yesterday, and I was describing thing. to him. <laughs> I was describing to Jordan what a didgeridoo was, <laughs> and he 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 wow. had a hard yeah. That's all he knew. He didn't yeah. know that's where they came from. It was an aborigin aboriginal. Yep. Yeah. So I don't say that. we, we kind of want to dive a little more into the culture. Yeah. Than most. First off, I know Australia is, I don't know what the shape, like it's kind of like a circular shape. Mm -hmm, it's roughly. roughly the size of like Brazil or the U.S. It's pretty mm -hmm. big. Where is Adelaide in that shape? Yeah, yeah. So I like to describe it like if you think of Australia as somewhat similar to like the continental United States in terms of you know size and shape, um, Adelaide would be where Texas is. So like South Central, the very bottom on the coast. Um but my mission boundaries covered the entire central portion of Australia from top to bottom. Wow. Um, oh, wow. And so that's huge. It but, is, but it let me, like, how many people are there? Don't people live like right <laughs> where the ocean is? And then like, there's yeah. nothing. Yeah. So 80% of, of Australia's population lives within two hours of the coast. And keep in mind, Australia only has a population of about 24 million people or so. So we're talking like 16 million less than California that alone. Crazy. <laughs> um, and so my mission, although geographically it was massive, uh, yeah, about 1.5 to 2 million people or so in my mission boundaries. Um, and so we're talking for scale, Adelaide to Adelaide's on the very bottom of my mission. So up to the very top coast a, to coast. Yeah. It was a city called Darwin and I served in Darwin for four months. You had to take a four hour flight to get there. Um, it, it's roughly the distance of traveling from like Mexico city to Chicago. Like oh driving. my goodness. So yeah, we're talking. Does anyone know, drive that or you, missionaries? They always not anymore. That. Um, back in the day, back in the day Man. they used to. So that'd be like a, that's like a two or three day yeah. trip. Wow. Uh huh. Yeah. And, and straight through the outback. I mean, we're talking like the dead center. I don't, you can't have a flat tire or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Um, so if you've ever, there's a really popular landmark in my mission, it's called Ayers Rock or yes. the Aboriginal name for it is uh -huh. Uluru. Um, yeah. Dead center of Australia in a place called Alice Springs for you bachelor fans out there. Uh, the bachelor's I... finale was in Alice Springs, Australia. <laughs> most recently, I don't watch it, but I was stoked that Alice Springs. You're married. So, you know, yeah. now, yeah. now that rock, is it's like a big wave looking thing, right? Or it's like a yeah, yeah. Have you seen a Jordan? No, I have no idea what you guys are talking. It's about. It's just like a massive. There's an, just nothing, and then all of a sudden, like a huge flat mm -hmm. looking rock, they like almost it, like a plateau, but it's solid rock. It's it's called a monolith. It would be like the okay, yeah. But but essentially, it's a rock. So meaning, if you had all the strength in the world, you could pick it up, and and it, it would all stay together like it's a rock. Um, you know, it looks like a mountain, honestly. And it's, it's, it's red and it changes colors with like the sun. And it's a really cool thing. It's very sacred to Aboriginal people. And, and, uh, and I knew exactly what it was when I went on my mission. This is kind of a fun fact. When I was in sixth grade, I did my world's fair report on Australia. And so like, <laughs> I had done all of the, you know, had all the pictures. I dressed up as Steve Irwin once for like Halloween and for that report and everything. Steve Irwin. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. Okay. Continue. Well, yeah. Well, and then just to make it even crazier, you know, my brother Landon. Yes. Um, Landon served in Australia as well. Oh, okay. And so two of the Bruff brothers in a row served in Australia. He served in Sydney. Wow. Um, back. Yeah. And so it was crazy because he had just gotten home from his mission and my parents uh, were about to go back with Landon to visit his mission like the week that I was getting my call. And so I opened up my call and I was like, I'm going to Australia Adelaide mission. And everybody's just freaking out. It's so much Australia and and uh, pretty rare. I mean, yeah. it's, there's only six missions in the country and and there's only 24 million people there. So it's not like there's you know tons of people to, yeah. to teach. And so the fact that we had two of us in a row go was pretty cool. That's awesome. You mentioned Steve Irwin and I just, <laughs> I just got to clear this. Do people actually say crikey down there or is that just like, what are some Australian 
jargon vernacular. Yeah. You know, what's funny. And <laughs> so crikey is actually, uh, derived from the Lord's name in vain. Ooh. I oh. bet you didn't know that. No, I didn't. Um, you got to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll beep it. Beep. <laughs> yeah. Every time you say crikey. <laughs> no, but um, that's the thing is like it, nobody would, would say like, oh, you're taking the Lord's name. Like, it's not like, it's oh, like saying like, G's here, you know, or gotcha. something like that. Is it, does it come from Christ? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I sense. thought it was more like crocodile. That's but. well, but that's because Steve Irwin <laughs> pointed, right? So um, yeah, I learned that from an Aboriginal person who told me, oh, you shouldn't be saying that, you know? And because like, you were, even you though mean? they, because you tried to use it. Well, yeah, we, we, we all, us, us American missionaries, we all thought it was like so funny, I guess. But, um, but yeah, so, so there are, there is a ton of slang in Australia. I think we heard fair dinkum. Fair dinkum. You heard that in a conference in talk. General conference. Yeah. Uh-huh. Elder, Elder Vincent, uh-huh. I think. Yeah. The first Australian general authority. And, uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's keen, there's heaps. What is, uh, what is fair? You, real quick. What is fair? Yeah, you you got to translate how these things. Yeah. Fair dinkum would be. Oh man. Okay. This about is a, it. It's like, it's true. It's like for sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. I've heard it in a sentence. Essentially. Yeah. So this is another cultural thing about Australia is true Australians, what they would say, true blues, true blue Aussie. Um, they're in like the Eastern States. Um, so when I say Eastern States, that's like Sydney and Brisbane and Melbourne, the East coast of Australia. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, Adelaide, I'm going to educate you even more. This is probably way more information than you even We're care here. about. Let's but, do it. Um, yeah. So Australia is a penal colony from England, which means, uh-huh. yes, uh, they're, Prisoners. Prisoners. Yeah. yeah. So basically England said, we don't want these people. They're convicts. Let's send them to Australia. <laughs> Let's banish them. And so there's six states and two territories in Australia. And Adelaide, which is in the state of South Australia, is the only state that was not a penal colony. Um, so pe- basically the people that settled Adelaide and South Australia uh, were English people who wanted to leave England. Gotcha. Um, and so Adelaide itself has a very... English culture there. It's a lot more uh, proper and, and everything so much more similar to England than, you know, authentic Australia. Mm. Um, and so you asked, you know, translate fair dinkum for me. I never heard fair dinkum once on my mission. That's an Australian because it's more of a, the penal it's, Australian. exactly, gotcha. exactly. And so prison yeah. slang. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and, uh, what was I going to say? I totally lost my train of thought. Um, Hey, food real quick. Yeah, was there I, any, was, I was going to talk about food. We, we talked about culture. Did Obviously, you, all these. Like, what is Vegemite? <sighs> is that kangaroo meat? No, 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 no. Dude, have I'm, you ever had Vegemite? You look, Zach looked at me like he's mad. No, no I'm mad. <laughs> Vegemite, dude. It's not meat. What is it? It's like, it looks like jam. It's like, yeah, it, it, it's something you put on <laughs> toast. Kangaroo meat, dude? I thought it was like peanut butter, but then I was like. It's, 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 it's a very, it's like a very it? salty thing. Um, okay, so. In America, when we make like a PB and J sandwich, we get we put like so much peanut butter and jelly on oh, that yeah. thing, right? And so people who hate Vegemite, they're like, "Oh, it's nasty." It's because they're trying to put so much of it on a sandwich. Uh, every Australian will tell you, you put your toast in. The second it comes out, you put butter on, and then you put a very thin layer of Vegemite on it's your a toast. Strong. And yeah, it's a very strong, very very salty um, taste. But what is yeah. it? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I haven't the slightest clue, but, um, I, I mean, I had it because it's like, Oh, I'm in Australia. I got to try it. You know, but Vegemite. yeah, <laughs> precise. Was, was there any food? Obviously you said you taught people from over 70 different countries. You were yeah. probably exposed to a lot of different types of food. Was there any, let's do, what was the craziest thing you ate? Craziest thing or mm-hmm. one thing that you didn't, your body didn't necessarily agree with. <laughs> and then what was the best thing you ever ate? Um, yeah, Okay. The worst thing I ate was crocodile, um, which isn't that crazy. Crocodiles are everywhere in the NT. Like Darwin has tons of crocodiles. How big are they? 
massive. Um, there's one that's like six meters long. They call him Brutus. Or, and then there's another one called Argo. We did a jumping crocodile cruise. If you're ever in Darwin, Australia, Do a <laughs> you got to go on the jumping croc cruise. They dangle the fish off. Yeah, I ate crocodile, very rubbery. I wouldn't recommend it. Like I had a croc burger and I bit into it and like you can't even bite through the crocodile to like they're tough. Out. Yeah. So oh my goodness. Just terrible. Um, they, they do all different sorts of like really good roasted vegetables. I know that sounds funny, but like pumpkin, they would say like really? oh, roasted pumpkin, which is essentially like butternut squash, butternut squash. Yeah. Uh, outstanding though. Um, I, I had like tons of chicken. I know it sounds kind of funny, but like every suburb in a big city, like they have just tons of different suburbs and each suburb has their own little chicken shop where you can get chicken and chips, yeah. um, which are like fries. Right. Um, and so, yeah, like that was like what I loved the most about <laughs> that. Is like there any the like chicken shops, but is there any staple to Australia other than like Vegemite? No, like really, <laughs> if there is, I'm missing it. Like, <laughs> like I said, I mean, we were very much like English influenced. Gotcha. So like, yeah. you know, I, in Adelaide, at least it was, it was, you know, pretty standard stuff, but gotcha, what's about, do they eat kangaroo burgers? Yes. And kangaroo burgers and like kangaroo fillets, like steak. Is, yeah. is, is it delicious? Good? Is yeah. a kangaroo like almost like a, like an invasive, like, are they pests? They're, they're rodents, right? They're like yeah. Because there's no hunting in Australia. You're not allowed to hunt. And so they have so many kangaroos that like they hire people to go and hunt them. Right. Yeah. And, like um, hitman it's, kangaroo. Yeah. It's <laughs> well, like, they, random they have a feral cat problem in australia yeah like thousands your of australian facts are the most random facts yeah, I, I, you're you're trying no yeah, i've never well, heard some of these I, hours and hours of youtube when i can't sleep but like <laughs> they've caused like lizard species to go extinct like a, a feral cat hmm. so there's like hundreds of millions of feral cats. anyways yeah, I didn't well, mean to like that. um yeah no there was uh kangaroo Kangaroo is delicious. It's a very lean meat. Um, so like very healthy. It's like deer. Um, yeah, yeah. But kind of sweet and like really, really good. We had, when when my wife and I were there last year, one of the members made us like the nicest um, kangaroo like filet or something like that. It was so good. So you could buy kangaroo meat like at the supermarket. Yeah. Uh -huh. Oh, wow. Yeah. Get me a kang. I can't do an Australian. <laughs> did, did, did you ever Get me see, a see one in the? What, what was like the wildest wildlife you saw? Yeah, in the outback. Um, I, I I've seen little kangaroos like in the a joey, in the wild. Yeah, <laughs> those hey. are the baby ones. But like, I'm saying like the big, I know too much about Australia. The big reds that they talk about that like can jump 35 feet in one bound. Like they're the ones that are like in, deep in the outback. I never saw yeah. those, but um, koalas. Like I, I saw koalas on eucalyptus trees. Like we had. Some, you know, as you're walking on the street, you'll see a koala and really? it's not a koala bear. There's a big distinction there. Yeah, so I didn't know that. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, that was, that was probably like the most crazy in the crocodiles. What about like insects? Cause when I hear about Australia, I'm like, they say like every single insect there is made to kill people or something. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I saw like the, the, the bugs you see in the house are definitely bigger there than like you would normally see in like... <laughs> Arizona or America, right? Maybe not scorpions, but like, yeah, nothing too crazy with insects. The birds are like really colorful. Like you can tell that there's only been 24 million people in the country because like these gorgeous animals um, are everywhere. Like these super colorful, colorful birds that you would only see in like a zoo in Arizona uh, are out. everywhere. Yeah. Like wow. it's amazing. So I think that that's a really cool thing about Australia. They're definitely known for their wildlife, but I didn't really have any experiences myself. Even though they're known for the wildlife, did you feel like you were serving in a foreign country? Darwin, yes. Darwin is like, Darwin is crazy, man. It's super tropical. Like, 
uh, the with the aboriginals everywhere like it was definitely like the authentic australian experience but being down in adelaide adelaide is uh, if you ever see like those business insider like best places to live in the world like adelaide is always in like the top 20 best cities to live in the world just very clean very nice um gorgeous weather like hot in the summer they have beaches but then they have hills and mountains and you know cold you winters and everything heat. yeah exactly um but yeah if you would have told me you know as i was knocking doors in adelaide australia that i was in australia i would have been like i would i wouldn't even know the difference right like i would think that i was in arizona or utah or something so um in that in that respect like not as much so how would you how would you describe the culture of where you served because when i think of australia mm -hmm. i think of the people that i know who have gone there who are like there's tons of um you know, Asians there from mm -hmm. like Japan, from yeah. the Philippines. And then there's like, like I had my cousin who served there and was Korean speaking. Mm -hmm. And then there's tons of people from just all over the world. Is that kind of like a just melting, a melting pot? pot? It's a, it's an extreme melting pot. And in fact, if you were, if, if Australia had 320 million people like the United States does, I guarantee there would be far more, uh, there would be much, a much more diverse population uh. in Australia than there would be in America. Um, I taught people from over 70 countries on wow. my mission. What brings them there to Australia of all well, places? Immigration is very, um, well, they can get a good education and, and Im they, they love immigrants in Australia. Gotcha. That's very welcoming. Difference. Yeah. And so they can go like all the Chinese uni students, as they say, that's another one uni for university. Um, Chinese uni students were a huge population of the people that we taught on our mission and, and just students in general from all of these, you know, foreign countries. Was it, was it tough for you? So you were English speaking. Yes. Mm -hmm. Was it tough for you to adapt to all these cultures? One, not only cause you're an American and you're in Australia, that's a totally different culture, even though you speak the same language, but then you're kind of tossed into all these little micro cultures within the Australian yeah, culture. Right. Right. Um, definitely a challenge. I mean, just cause I'd never been exposed to that. Um, I had an amazing trainer and actually he's like a, you could call him like a a sea level celebrity in Utah. Oh, really? <laughs> um, his name is Johnny Linehan, and uh, he was the the illustrious punter for BYU's football team for the last couple of years. He's from <laughs> really? New Zealand. Nice. Um, but yeah, he has like a really big social media following. He's verified on Twitter. Which He's going to hear cool. this and go, sea level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. He's going to get um, us banned from Twitter. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, Johnny, he's from New Zealand. He has this incredible personality. And, um, first of all, like as a young missionary in Australia, you can't even tell the difference between like a British Australian and a New Zealand accent. But by the end of your mission, you can totally pick it out, you know, but, uh, but what I mean to say is that, you know, he grew up in New Zealand, which is also very multicultural as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so he was very prepared to have those conversations with people of all different places. And he learned how to say, uh, one of the funniest things, like he learned how to say, uh, hello, my name is SpongeBob in Mandarin Chinese, like just so yeah. that he could make a Chinese person laugh just to like totally break down whatever barriers were there yeah. and, uh, you know, start to have a conversation about Jesus Christ. Right. So, um, you know, he was very, very good about breaking down those barriers. That's awesome. Did you, did you ever have the, the opportunity to teach an Aboriginal? Yes. And they, um, they speak English? They do. They, yeah. Okay, yeah. 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 So, so think very similar to native Americans. They speak English, but then they also have like their own languages as well. Um, yes. In fact, like my, my number one convert, probably like the best story of my mission, uh, was an Aboriginal woman that I taught up in Darwin. Well, let's dive into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so her name is Marjorie. Um, so I had just been transferred up to Darwin um, which is a, a very unique experience in and of itself. You, you may have seen, um, I, I talked about how, 
I, I got the call that I was packing 23, uh, which is a huge thing in my mission. It's like, if you get the call that you're packing 23, what, yeah, what does that mean? It means you're packing 23 kilograms, which means you're, you're on a plane, you're going up North. Yeah. Um, so that means we have two zones, Alice Springs and Darwin. Uh, in the Northern Territory. Two so. zones in your entire mission? No, no sorry. In the, nor- oh, okay. in the Northern Territory. <laughs> I was like, dang. But, but there was only six zones in the entire mission. It's a really small mission. Gotcha. Um, but up in the NT, uh, that's like where, you know, you've, you know, you've made it as a missionary if you got to serve in the Northern Territory. And so I <laughs> was in my first area for seven months in Adelaide, which I love, but getting that call that you're packing 23 and going to Darwin is an amazing experience. And uh, my first day in Darwin, I, I was with my next companion and uh, we went and, uh, he's like, Hey, we've, we've taught one lesson with this woman. You know, she's, she's Aboriginal. I'm not sure how this is going to go. Um, but you know, she's really the only investigator we've got. And over the next few months, um, you know, got to know Marjorie. So this is one really crazy thing about her. She's part of the stolen generation. And again, I'm not the most educated on, you know, that topic specifically, but basically, uh, they tried to take these Aboriginal children and to convert them into like white people essentially. And so they kidnapped a bunch of Aboriginal children when they were young, forced them to live in in this mission, they called it. And, uh, you know, she was, forced to raise assimilate a new culture exactly yeah Yeah. um terrible and and it was traumatic and so um marjorie uh had a very difficult life but she was able to make a name for herself in up in darwin in the northern territory and amongst the aboriginal culture there she's kind of looked to looked at as a leader there and uh, grew up very religious and christian but um she ended up getting baptized um like the, in the last few weeks that I was there now, uh, we talked about how it was a traumatic experience for her. If you were to talk to a missionary from my mission at the time that I was there, um, they would know about Marjorie because like everybody knew that she fell in love with elder breath and she, she wrote me these love letters and everything. (laughs) But, um, my wife and I just last year, this is six years later, uh, we went and visited, um, Australia. We went to the Darwin branch and I, I didn't even tell her that I was coming because yeah. You know, I didn't want to complicate things. She'll for sure be there. Yeah. But she was there. Nice. You know, six years later, which she is the only person that I taught on my mission that to this day, you know, six years later would, would even have a chance of being active. Um, which is one of the unique challenges of my mission and maybe not unique to every person, but, um, you know, that it's just really hard to retain people. And so you can imagine just how that felt for me you know, yeah. that she wasn't just converted you know, tell their breath. Yeah. She was converted to the gospel. Uh-huh. You know, how else would you be there for six years? So. so you said that she had an understanding and she was Christian. Is that, mm-hmm. are the Aboriginal people Christians or was that just because of her, the stolen generation type deal or, or like, so what, what, <clears throat> what, if, if a missionary opens their call and serves in the NT you yeah. know, mm-hmm. and they see some Aboriginal people, what should they expect? Do they have a a belief in Christ or a knowledge of Christ? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. 100%. But uh, commitment is very hard for them. So in the Darwin branch, there's like a thousand people on the records of the Darwin branch. Uh, there's about 200 active members attending every Sunday, but uh, 800 of them are yeah, it's like a stake. pretty much aboriginals yeah. and uh, they've all gone walkabout, which is like what they do. They just pick up one day and they'll go walk off into the into the outback somewhere and you'll never see them again. Um, well, like, like seriously, seriously, they're like, they're, they're, very, they may come, they may come back in, you know, a couple months or a couple of years, but like, well, they just go on this journey. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's oh. a, it's a journey and, uh, hmm. they're very transient people. So 
Yeah. And so that's why Marjorie's so unique. I mean, she's lived in the same house for like the last 20 years. It's a little apartment in downtown Darwin and, and, uh, you know, she's become a fixture there. She, she does the Aboriginal dot paintings and, and, uh, she doesn't make them for people, but she surprised me with one. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I know really what you're talking cool. about now. So, no, I have no idea. We'll have to post yeah, it on uh, well, Instagram again, when we talk about like cultural things. This could be like the most this, offensive, a didgeridoo. <laughs> like I've seen them with the dot pinnings on the yeah. didgeridoos and yeah, stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. So she's, she's amazing. But, um, what was your question again? Did you uh, No, like, uh, just, a, a, uh, those natives, do yes, they have a, a belief, but is it yeah. like, so for example, like the native Americans here, they, they believe in a God, but it's a it's, it might not be like our father in heaven who has a son, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Is it, is it similar to that? Or do they believe in a God, Jesus Christ, that he atoned for our sins type deal? Yeah. They're very, very, very spiritual, very faithful people. And I would even say, uh, most of them are Christian. Like they okay, do have okay. a, have a Christian belief or at least understanding. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. They'll, they'll come up to you they're, they They'll beg for some money. Hey brother, you got a dollar, you know? And, and, uh, <laughs> the the thing that I was like trained to say as a young missionary was like, if any, if they ever ask you, if you, if you, if uh, you have any money, just tell them you'll, you'll send them prayers and they'll be just as happy, you know? So yeah. like they always, like they have a reverence for that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and so teaching them was easy, but getting them to keep commitments was very difficult. Um, what advice would you give? I'm kind of putting you on the spot for a missionary who's teaching a, a people that maybe aren't the most committed commit or good at keeping commitments, you know, <laughs> new commitments. Like they're, it's they're, everywhere. they're loving the lessons. They love the spirit of it. Like, yeah, let's do this. We had the same problem in, in Brazil. Yeah, it's everywhere. <laughs> what? Yeah. What's you know, take? it will, my, my take, it's not even just based on like Aboriginals. Cause like I mentioned, I taught people from 70 different countries and I taught a lot of, uh, what Australians call bogans, uh, which would be redneck in America. Nice. <laughs> but bogan is a, is like a hillbilly or redneck. Um, yeah, it's my favorite quote of all time. President Uchtdorf shared this in a conference talk, um, and it's by Leonardo da Vinci. Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Um, and so I vividly remember teaching one individual in this small country town, uh, they call it out bush, um, in, in Australia called Port Piri, and like just connecting the dots with her. I remember sharing uh, the scripture in Second Nephi about feast upon the words of Christ. And I'm like, every single day, you know, you make time uh, to eat three different meals. You know, you make time to actually prepare the food, eat the food, and, you know, hopefully clean up the food. Um, And you need that to survive. And the same way God is asking us or teaching us that we need to feast upon the words of Christ. So just like we make time to eat those meals each day, we need to make time uh, to read the scriptures, you know, to, to actually like pray with God and everything and, or pray to God and, and so breaking it down just very, very simply uh, so that they understand in a way that they understand, that would be my biggest advice. Yeah. It seems like a powerful parable as well. You got to live on, on his word. Um, so how did you find people? Was there anything unique about, is it just knocking doors or, or I don't know. <clears throat> yeah. Um, nothing unique. Really, you don't pull out a didgeridoo it. and yeah. do a little, you know, I, I do love, um, some of the, like, initiatives or campaigns you could say that we had like as a mission. Um, but one thing that I, I did love about my mission was that like, it's very much like your, your stereotypical, like, you know, just pounding doors, like, you know, you got to put the time in, uh, to get people in the funnel. And, and, uh, I remember, you know, when I was like getting trained, um, 
the big campaign was uh, knocking from four to 6 PM every day. Families are at home, you know, like they're getting home from work, then the kids aren't in bed. Uh, so you're going to be tracking from four to 6 PM every day. Um, I, I, at a later point in my mission, my mission president was all about, um, the family proclamation. And instead of pass along cards or books of Mormon, um, we had like, I would keep like 20 family proclamation brochures in my pocket. And whenever I saw a stroller, um, you better believe I was crossing the street and I was going to go give this woman or, or father a family proclamation. And so, uh, we definitely family focus. Like that was always, I mean, as a business person, right. Uh, you want to go where you can get the most bang for your buck. Right. Sure. Mm -hmm. And, uh, with families, you're not just bringing one person into the gospel, you're bringing four people into the gospel. And, and so that was always a big focus, but yeah, very much just, you know, got to put in the time. And speaking of the time, I think whenever we tell a story, at least like 99% of the time when you're finding someone, you probably talk to, I don't know, I don't know how many people you talk to, but let's say you talk to a million people. There's like 10 people, you know, that actually, yeah. do you have any experiences? Cause we always talk about like, is the last door. Do you have any like last door experiences? <laughs> I do. Yeah. Um, it <laughs> was a great transition there, Jordan. You like that? <laughs> yeah. Very good. He's been practicing. <laughs> um, yeah. So in my first area, so I was uh, like my, my trainer, I talked about him, Elder Linhan, incredible trainer. Second companion was Elder Covey, grandson of Stephen R. Covey. To, wow. to this day, one of my best friends, both of them are Elder Linhan and Elder Covey. Like so blessed to have an incredible first two companions who were like master finders. Naturally, like finding was a very difficult thing for me. Um, and so my third companion, Elder Wilson, uh, was this timid guy from Australia, um, knew the gospel in and out, but very scared to go talk to people about it. Um, and so naturally finding was very difficult for the both of us. He was very timid. I didn't love. And you're initiating. not as timid. So you were probably more the, the lead. <laughs> well, yeah. And I was training him. I, he, oh, yeah. Gotcha. And, and I, so yeah, I was definitely the lead. Yeah. And, uh, we had gone tracting in the morning one, one day. And our, this was still my first area, my like fourth transfer and his first transfer. And so I'm, you know, scared as I could be. And, and, uh, we had spent two hours tracking and we got nothing like zero, uh, response whatsoever. And so, um, I don't know what, like, there was something much more dramatic that I, that's not coming to mind about the story, but I can remember, um, saying to him, like, we need to go knock one more door. Like, like we need to finish like our goal, like finish the street or something like that. And, and so we went and knocked this one more door and this woman with two little children answers the door and, um, we, we had this conversation. She straight up told us that she wasn't interested. And uh, at the very end of it, elder Wilson said, um, we're, we just want to help people. And, uh, and so I think he was asking like, you know, do you have any referrals? We we're just here to help people. And uh, at that point she, her like face changed and she's like, well, how do you guys help? You know? And, and, uh, he explained, you know, we have a message about Jesus Christ, but it doesn't have to be religious. We, we can just serve people, you know? And, and at that point she explained, um, last night I was praying, uh, for, to God. I said, if, if you have, uh, if you're real, you know, please send help. Wow. And so the fact that he used the word, like, we're just here to help people, wow. uh, really struck a chord with her. And we ended up teaching her. Unfortunately I got transferred, but Nikki was her name and she ended up getting baptized. That's awesome. Um, she was a, a young single mother from England with two little children uh, under the age of five. Um, she loved the relief society in the primary for her kids. Uh, she was in an abusive relationship and was really down to her last, you know, straw. And that's where she cried wow. for help. And so, yeah, that was like my, my big experience visited Nikki while, while I was in Australia last year. She's not, you know, necessarily active, but 
you know, very kind towards the church and, and uh, she still has fond feelings towards me and, and everything. So another miracle for me, for sure. That's, That's awesome. awesome. I want to break down a little bit. Um, cause we've talked about being green on your mission, mm-hmm. right. And how nervous you are, but we've, we all trained, right? You trained, yeah. Jordan trained. Yeah. How, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about how nervous you, trainers are, right? Because, because so, <laughs> I, I just want to, I'm going to talk about this for just a minute. Cause on my first day, Elder Hale, we went and knocked doors. Nothing, nothing was happening. And I'm thinking like, I'm greening. Oh, we're going to teach 50,000 lessons yeah, in a day. A, you just got out of the MTC and you're like, we're going to baptize 20 people. Yeah, week. exactly. And I remember knocking a door and a bird pooped on him. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, yep. Welcome to Brazil. You know, but, <laughs> and then later on my mission, it was my last two transfers is when I trained. And I remember like being so nervous because I wanted to do the, we just got to do one last door. Yeah, There's something yeah. at the end of this, you know, let's break that down a little bit. You as a trainer, and this is your third companion, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So you're how long on the mission? Six, eight months. So fourth, fourth, fourth transfer. transfer. Yeah. Okay. So six months. Yeah. Right. So you're relatively new yourself. And then all of a sudden you're, you're tasked with this responsibility of breaking in this new elder. How was that for you? Because for me, I was about to go home, but I was still so nervous. <laughs> yeah. Um, it helped. I think that I was still, I, I, I was not very far removed from my own training experience, uh, because at the time, like I didn't realize how incredible my trainer was. Yeah, and totally. So, so, so first and foremost, you know, training for your first time, it makes you like absolutely love and appreciate your trainer more than you ever ever did before. Um, but it helped that I was so close to it because I could remember exactly how he felt, you know, and, and like the first time we knocked a door and you know, what was running through his head the yeah. first time I handed him the book of Mormon to say like, you go yeah, this totally. to that person right there. And, and so, yeah, I, I definitely think that that was, that really helped the situation for sure. That's awesome. It makes def- sense. It's definitely a beautiful parallel to, to parenthood. Yes. Like you want this person to succeed. You can give all yeah. the opportunity you can and you're yeah. a little more patient with them than normal. And then once they've trained or they have kids, now that I, I have a son, it's like, man, my parents are awesome. And I'm so <laughs> right. But they're so patient with me. And I was going to ask Dalton, we know you served in multiple different leadership positions in the mission, but which position would you say you grew the most? Hmm. I mean, every one of them has their, their differences. Um, I, 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 I would have to say training for yeah. sure. I, I mean, I, so I trained two missionaries and so I trained elder Wilson first. He was the one from Australia, had the exact opposite experience with elder Mortensen, uh, who I trained up in Darwin. Um, I, I mentioned that elder Wilson, what he knew the gospel in and out, but was scared to talk about it. Uh, elder Mortensen was from Utah didn't know anything about the gospel. Like I remember trying to like uh, having him teach the, the restoration to an investigator for the first time. And <laughs> Holy crap, man, it just went way over his head. And I was like, you're a seminary graduate. Like, but, but at the same time, I can't talk because like when well, I was we all in, start that way, yeah, yeah. no, exactly. Yeah. You th- or you think, you, you know, yeah, we all think yeah. we know. Yeah. But that, but that's the difference is elder Wilson was the only member of the church in his high school in, in Australia. Right. And so he grew he up to. having to defend his beliefs, mm-hmm. you know, Whereas Elder Mortensen, everybody at his school was LDS, you know? So why did he need to know, you know, about Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon and everything? But he was unafraid to talk with anybody. And so 
finding with him was super fun because he had no shame, no fear, <laughs> didn't know what to say once they like he engaged with them, but uh, he could he could bridge the gap. So yeah, it was it was a very different experience. So kind of transitioning, you had talked earlier about Nikki and how she came mm-hmm. in and the members really helped her out. Yeah. How did the members help you out as a missionary? Yeah. yeah. What is the member culture down there? <clears throat> yeah. Um. So Adelaide has three stakes, each with four wards. So super tiny, uh, you know, church membership and the wards, you know, have a hundred to 150 active members. Right. So, um, so that's in Adelaide at least, but, um, one of our, I mentioned how we had a lot of like finding campaigns and, and mm-hmm. definitely like the biggest campaign that we had while I was on my mission was, uh, the member missionary lesson. Uh, this came out right before, you know, the whole hastening of the work. Um, and actually our mission president like shared this, uh, insight with us, this, the launch of this new campaign. I'm talking like I'm a marketing <laughs> you know, person, but Sorry. Uh, yeah, but, um, we launched this campaign and then like a month later, Elder Anderson came out with his, uh, with his talk in general conference where he said names and faces of people will come to mind. And that was like what the whole campaign was based around was like working with the members to have them pray for specific people. And, and, uh, we asked members, we did the member missionary lesson with them and we asked them questions like, who do you know, you know, that's recent, that's going through a divorce or who do you know, uh, that, could use some yard work, you know, very specific questions to prompt very specific answers as opposed mm-hmm. to the traditional, you know, who do you know that, uh, would like to hear a message about Jesus Christ. Right. And so, um, I'll just share one incredible experience that I had with that. Um, so I had one companion and I, we were, we were tracting as we do, um, in a very affluent neighborhood in Adelaide. And, uh, this one door, I remember the lady answered the door. She saw that we were LDS missionaries and she said, I have some friends that are members, um, you know, but, but no thanks, you know, have a great day boys, you know, and sent us on our way. Uh, a couple months later, we did the member missionary lesson with this family, the Scots, um, who were an incredible member missionary family. And, uh, we asked them that question, who do you know, uh, I think we asked them a question like about like who, who, who has questions about God and, and, uh, brother Scott said, I have a, a good friend, uh, you know, who has some questions about that. He's kind of on a spiritual journey right now. And so we set up a time for dinner in their home. And uh, a couple weeks later, uh, we had dinner with this family, the Delfosses and sitting in their living room was the woman whose, uh, who, whose door we had knocked on. Now I didn't remember that at the time, but she did. Mm-hmm. She said, you were the two missionaries, um, that came and knocked on my door two months ago. Cause she recognized my, my tongue and companion. Um, <laughs> and, and sure enough that like their house was in our area and, uh, like we remembered knocking that street. And so, uh, this couple they're you know, millionaire couple, you know, super, uh, successful professionally and everything. Um, kingdom builders, as you would say, right? Like people that can come in and actually like, you know, hold, hold callings and, and really make a difference. And, and, uh, long story short, they ended up getting baptized. And so I think that that story perfectly illustrates the difference between missionaries trying to do missionary work and members doing missionary work, right? Because we tried, we, we knocked on their door. She said she wasn't interested, Mm. but since the members referred, referred them Lou and Petra, um, they got baptized. Right. And, and that's like, that's why member missionary work is so important. Absolutely. I hope I'm not talking too much. You guys No, like, this I, is your episode, this is your mission. This is your, whatever. I felt like I was talking too much with the, the training question, but no, it's good. I think it's like, once I got to a point on my mission, when I involved the members more is when the missionary work took on a completely different meaning. Right. 
And just like stories like that, it's, they help so much. Yeah. You know, even if it's just like allowing somebody to bring their guard down a little bit, being there with a member, it just opens up a whole new area of possibilities. I was going to ask earlier, you mentioned your testimony and how it was very faith-based and that you didn't have too many experiences to bring it to more of the knowledge side. Mm -hmm. Do you mind sharing some of the experiences that kind of gave you a greater knowledge of the gospel? Definitely. Um, so I mentioned Elder Covey and I was in, it was my third transfer. Um, and I had gotten to a point, you know, I, I kind of regret what I just said about Elder Mortensen because like he's a seminary graduate. Yeah. He didn't know about Joseph Smith, but I was, We're I was kind of, kind of in a very yeah. similar situation. Um, and I used to be so ashamed to like share this story, but now I think it's like really important, especially for, you know, missionaries who are preparing. Um, I remember being, we were in a companionship study in my third transfer and I had gotten to a point where I realized I was like, something's not clicking with the book of Mormon, you know, like with how this, how this is like the keystone of our religion and why that is and what the book of Mormon actually is. And he's like, well, let's talk about it. And I remember he asked me, he was so loving and kind and just the way that he, there was no judgment with the fact that like, I didn't know what the book of Mormon was. So, so, you know, just to give you some context with where my mind was at, excuse me, you know how in first Nephi, uh, Nephi and his brothers go back and get the plates from Laban. Right. Uh, I was under, (laughs) I was under this assumption that that was the book of Mormon. Like the plates that they were going back to get was like, what the book of Mormon actually was. And that's what we were reading to this day. Right. And obviously that doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's just like, that's what 19 year old Dalton Bruff like thought about that. And so as far as knowledge goes, like very, very little, uh, but Jacob Covey, you know, took the time to actually like sit down and talk me through it. And then that allowed me to just be set up on this like trajectory of like, okay, now that that makes sense, like I actually understand what's going on in the book of Mormon and the principles and the stories that I've been reading about all my life. Like I'm gaining all this knowledge. Yeah. And, and it was just incredible. And so like for any missionaries that are preparing themselves, like you do not have to know, you know, all about those principles and you don't need to know the ins and outs of every single story. Like I had read the book of Mormon cover to cover one time uh, before I left on my mission. That's because like one of my dad's requirements was like, you cannot submit your papers until you read the book of Mormon, you know? Um, but like, if you're worried about really knowing the gospel and everything, like don't, because you, you are your biggest convert on your mission. You will, you will have the opportunity to really, uh, you know, figure those things out. And I'm just really grateful that I had loving companions who didn't judge me. Right. Yeah. So that's one example. That's awesome. And I think of, I think it's Neil Anderson's quote, or, uh, he gave a talk and he talks about the spirit kingdom and told him, you know, enough. Mm. He was concerned about moving forward in some type of direction and he didn't know what to do. And the spirit was like, you know, enough. Yeah. So right. you, don't, you don't have to know everything, but if you know enough, you can move forward. Right. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about mission leadership. <laughs> let's do it. Cause you had mentioned that you <clears throat> wanted to share an experience that you had younger on your mission and we yeah. know that you, you had other leadership assignments. What, what was this experience that you had? Yeah. Um, well, first I want to ask you guys like, so you mentioned Zach, you served in leadership. So, so what did, what did you guys, um, what did, where did you guys serve in the mission? Like the leadership positions? Yeah. yeah. I trained, I was his own leader. I was an assistant. Okay. I was a district leader, a zone leader. I was a zone leader for a long time, like over 
He's like the grand. He was like the boy kid packer. <laughs> yeah. <of the> <laughs> no, like you have those. I was a Everybody zone leader does. like probably for over a year. Yeah. And then I trained. Got it. Um, you know, and and it's funny because how did that feel? Like when I asked you that question, like it feels kind of weird. It is right? uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. And why is that? Oh, Dalton's taking over the <laughs> interview. Why? Well, is I'll that? answer that because I okay. I have a completely different outlook on what a mission was because growing up, it was never, I never wanted, I never thought about serving a mission. I, my dad's not a member of the church. Right. Okay. So to me, it was just like, I made my decision on my own at the age, like right around my senior year in high yeah. school that I wanted to go. Right. So I never really grew up like so-and-so is an AP, so-and-so is a yeah, zone leader. Right. right? Or so-and-so is a bishop. Right. For me, it was just, I, that's just a role that yeah. they assumed, right? I didn't really hold any sort of measurement towards it. But then obviously when you get towards the mission or when you get on the mission or even in the MTC, like I remember I was called in the MTC to be the, uh, what do they call it? The, the branch president mm. or assistant or something like that. And like somebody came up to me, he's like, Whoa, like, <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, all I have to do is go to more meetings. Like, but then when I, it, it was, I started recognizing it a little bit more and more as I got on the mission where, yeah, some people might lead with that, you know, yeah, I was the AP or I was the LZ or whatever. But to me, it was just <laughs> like, to me, I could care less. Right. If you were a good missionary that d I knew I had an assistant who I would consider a bad missionary, you know, right, like, right. but he, he had something he needed to learn or whatever the president needed him. So it's not necessarily that I look at it like, Ooh, that guy's a good missionary. He must be spiritual. Yeah. Or yeah. He, he must've done something in the, the preexistence to <laughs> let him be a, an AP. Like I didn't think about that at all, but I knew other people thought about it completely different. I don't know, Jordan, what do you think? Can, can you re-ask the, the question? Well, what were your thoughts? Well, I just asked Why you, was it awkward? Why was, yeah, it, awkward? Why was yeah. it uncomfortable for you to talk about that you were an assistant? I think, you know, what's funny is I don't know too many assistants that are like, oh yeah, I was the assistant. So listen to what I say. <laughs> but but everyone, everyone that served a mission was like, I'm pretty much a mission president. Like, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. If I have like a specific it's, answer, it's, but I, I, I do kind of guard that I served in leadership positions. Yeah. Sure. Right. Well, and, and in the two episodes that I listened to in preparation for this, like I didn't hear either of you guys really talk about it. And so, um, I don't know if you have another, in other episodes, but I think it's a good thing to talk about because it's like, I think it's kind of funny that we do have all these, like this weird cultural, you know, there's this connotation associated with serving in mission leadership. And I don't think that there necessarily needs to be. Now I went to BYU for my education and I've definitely been in lectures at BYU where, the guy that wants to impress the girls in the class raises his hand and said, yeah, this reminds me of a time when I was a zone leader on my Oh, mission. really? <laughs> and then they proceed oh. to tell a story that has nothing like, to that, do with the fact that they were a zone that's leader. That's cringy. Yeah, it's terrible. And so like, that's where the connotation comes from. Um, but there was an experience I had early on in my mission with my mission president. Um, I think growing up, just having three older brothers serve missions is like, is definitely something that like, you know, when I would get their emails, like my brother, Zach in Brazil, you know, he served as the assistant in his mission. I've always really looked up to Zach. He's like, he's an amazing brother. And, and I remember reading the email that said, you know, like I, I got transferred and I'm now the assistant of my mission. And I was just like, wow, like Zach got a promotion, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, I guess, it was just, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it, I didn't, I didn't perceive it in some like, oh, 
he got a promotion, but it's it, Dalton. It's not a promotion, and like it shouldn't be looked at it like that. But it's like no. It, it, I mean, it, it, to me, it was a reflection of you know he's he's worked hard, he's done well, and and uh, he's trusted. I think that's the biggest thing, right? And so, um, yeah, I think coming into the mission, I had this like idea that like, hey, yeah, well, I would love the opportunity to serve with my fellow you know, missionaries, as opposed to like just purely focusing on the people of Australia, I want to help my fellow missionaries, you know, gain a testimony and, and perfect their practices. Right. And so that's what was really appealing to me about serving in mission leadership and my mission president, he just totally like dissected me. You know, I, I had been out for probably like six or seven months and, and, uh, I don't remember how exactly how it came up, but it was just in an interview and, and, uh, he asked me something along the lines of like, Elder Bruff, what do you think about leadership? And uh, he proceeded to share a scripture with me. I think it's uh, in Timothy. Um, I think it's like Timothy 3.1 or something like that. But um, he said, the, the scripture essentially says, if, he, if you aspire, if you desire to be a bishop, you aspire a good work. You desire a good work. Um, and he said, there's nothing wrong, you know, with, with aspiring to leadership, but it's all about your motive, right? And yeah, like, yeah, why, yeah. why do you want the leadership position and all that stuff? And I don't want people to think that I was just this like bloodthirsty, like, or power hungry. <laughs> I wanted the recognition person. rather Not than at all. The, like, the mission. You know? Yeah. But, but I will say, you know, you talked to, you asked me earlier, you know, what, um, what, where did I grow the most of my mission? I definitely think training, but where did I have the most fun? I definitely think it was in mission leadership. Um, and so to answer your question, I served, you know, as a district leader, uh, zone leader and an assistant, but, uh, that didn't come until the second year of my mission. So my entire first year, it was all just training and just serving and just being with the people and, and everything. And, uh, there was one experience in particular, I thought that it was like about to happen. I was in Darwin, I was like, the circumstances like look like I'm about to become, uh, you know, the district leader of the Darwin district. And, uh, I remember, uh, the transfer came and elder Holmes, who I was like best friends with in the mission. He was younger than me in the mission. He became our district leader. And so like, it, that was like a totally humbling experience. And it was, uh, it was such a good experience for me to have became a district leader after my year mark spent six months as a district leader, which was probably my favorite like calling. I just love doing district meetings every week. I love preparing the trainings and like looking at the numbers and like thinking like, how can we, it's what definitely can I, the most hands-on? Oh, I love it. You have it. the most influence. Yeah. 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 And doing exchanges and everything. Like I, I absolutely love that. I was his own leader for one transfer. And then, uh, for my last six months, I served as the assistant. And, uh, it, what's funny is elder Holmes, the, the guy that became the district leader in Darwin, uh, he thought he was going to be the assistant when, <laughs> when I was made the assistant and, uh, and then he ended up killing me. So he was, he was the assistant that I trained at the very gotcha. end of my mission. And so like we both, we had these very humbling experiences with each other. Um, but the reason why I talk about all of this is because, um, serving in leadership on my mission, like the reason why it was such a big blessing to me is because this helped me ultimately to identify what I wanted to do for my career. Um, and that's like what I consider probably the biggest personal blessing of serving a mission was I had no idea what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. You know, for the 40 years that I was responsible to provide for a family, like I had no clue, but serving a mission and working with my fellow missionaries, uh, helped me to realize like, I want to pursue a career in human resources, which <laughs> sounds kind of funny, right? Who, <laughs> who wants to be Toby from the office? Right? <laughs> uh, that's the perception that people Why are have. you the way that you are? <laughs> exactly. Um, but I got, I, I got so much satisfaction and fulfillment from actually teaching my fellow coworkers or employees, 
um, you know, how to be a better missionary and, and actually like serving those people than I did about actually serving the customers or, you know, the people of Australia. Right. And so, um, that's, that's kind of why, why I talk about leadership and why like that experience for me personally was so special. So hopefully that makes sense. No. Yeah, for sure. And I love that you talked about the intention behind leadership. I think it was Boyd Keith Packer that talked about, we don't, and he, the, the new Testament used the word aspire, but he said, we don't aspire as in like, we don't want like this glory. personal ambition. Yeah. Glory, yeah. Right. But we're inspired by leaders that have served in those positions that are like, man, I hope that I can have that kind of impact on someone. Someday. Exactly. And taking it one step further. And if you don't have an answer, like maybe I'll answer my own question, but <laughs> like what, what advice would you give to a missionary that never has a leadership opportunity yeah, that, that nice. really wants one? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's similar advice to, um, what I would give about somebody who just doesn't serve a mission at all, uh, which is, you know, serving a mission is not a saving ordinance. Right. And, uh, same thing with mission leadership, like just because you serve as a leader in the mission, it does not necessarily mean it's, it's not also a, not it's, a saving ordinance. It's not, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although it does come with a pay raise. No, I'm just um, <laughs> no. You get two packets of ramen for lunch. Instead <laughs> <of one. laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah, just because you are, Sorry, I'm going to start that over. Um, being a leader does not mean that you are necessarily the best missionary. In fact, like one of the missionaries that I was a companions with as an assistant, like he did not baptize one person before he became an assistant. Right. And so he had his own, you know, mental problems of like, how can I be teaching other people how to be a missionary? You know, if I've never even brought somebody to baptize. Right. Um, and so. Yeah, I don't know if that's advice. I'd love to hear your answer. Well, on first the off for your companion the definition of success as a missionary. Yeah. It's not the number of baptisms. It's, totally. it's your commitment. Yeah. But right. I would say that the, there's a, there's patriarchs and apostles that talk about this, how they had their testimony before they became a patriarch or before they became an apostle. You can have that same type of connection with heavenly father, yeah. regardless of whatever position yeah. you serve in. Mm -hmm. And so in the scriptures, you know, they talk about, who is it? Helaman. And like, he was no less serviceable. It's like, it's like Sam, the young brother Nephi, like he was completely supporting the president and prophet of the church at that time, yeah. you know, his brothers and they don't get the recognition, Hiram but, Smith, they're, yeah. but they're absolutely there. Yeah. Like they totally contributed. And totally. so there's no, and sometimes it's, I, when I got the call that I was going to become an assistant, a wise district leader, Jimmy Percival, if you're listening to this, <laughs> he told me, he's like, you know why you have that, why you're getting this call? He's, and I was like, no. And he's like, because you need to learn something. Like leadership is for people that need to learn something. It's not always like I look up to my dad. I think he's an awesome man. He, to me, he has like the testimony of like a patriarch. Like he's just yeah. solid in the church. He's never been in a bishop brick. I don't think he's ever been in an elders corn presence. Yeah. Uh, and that, that and it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. Right, yeah. right. I think for me, I don't, are you, yeah, I don't want to cut you off. I'm for off me, I would box. say the same exact thing, like to any one of my employees, right? I would say, there are plenty of opportunities to lead in any position that you are yeah. in, whether that's leading a lesson, whether that's again, leading, let's go talk to this person, you know, a street contact. And I would expect that same commitment out of the, the greenest of the green missionary to the assistant, right? Yeah. There's plenty of opportunities to, to serve. There's plenty of opportunities to, that's what it all is. That's what leadership yeah. is. It's just serving. Right. Yeah. And it's not necessarily like, it's, it's like you're serving almost like in a little bit of a different capacity, but you're not right. Cause you're still, you're still a missionary. You still have responsibilities. Uh, an assistant 
my travel and teach zone leaders and district leaders, but you as, you know, the senior companion in your podunk area in the middle of nowhere, you're still the leader, right? You, you still participate in the same responsibilities yeah. for the, the people around you, you know? So again, I, I, I totally look at it a lot differently. I think it has to do with how I was brought up. Right. And I think part of the reason why my dad is still not a member of the church today is because of certain stigmas like that. Like, I mean, it could be a number of things. He doesn't really talk about it, but like, you know, the whole, oh, he's a bishop or whatever, you know? And I think it, it it's almost like, uh, again, just talking about my dad, uh, Bednar had said about his dad, yeah. you know? Yeah. Right. But that's how I look at leadership in the church. Just cause you're a leader doesn't mean that you have less problems than me or you're better than me or you're more spiritual than me. That's just the calling yeah. you're in. Right. Yeah. And again, I a hundred percent believe there's a lot to, to leadership, um, about that the individual has to learn much like what you said, right? I'm a leader because not necessarily because I'm the best in the mission, but maybe I need to learn how to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yeah. I'm um, again, thinking like how the Lord is a master chess player. Like <laughs> he could be using you as a pawn to set up the checkmate. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't, he, he's not always moving the king and the queen, right? He's, right. he's moving everything. So yeah. it's you're you're part of the, part of the puzzle. I love, um, the white handbook. There's a, there's a quote on it, it or it, about mission leadership and, and it's probably been updated since then. I was going to say the handbook's been, <laughs> they've, oh, it has. It's yeah. been changed. I still yeah. have mine. I should, I should yeah. go back and read it. Uh, but they, they say like as a, as a leader in the mission, your responsibility is to lift, encourage, inspire, and bless. And like, that was like my kid, okay, you know, that you have pure motives. Um, if that's what you aspire to do and if that's what you are able to do as a leader in the mission. So that was kind of like, that's how I stayed rooted and focused is like, okay, am I, how am I lifting others today and encouraging them and everything? So, um, I'm glad we talked about this. I think it's a really, no, good. I think it's a really important, like in your form, you know, taboo topics, right? It's like, it's good. you felt uncomfortable. It's like, it's kind of an uncomfortable thing to talk about. And so say that phrase one more time where the lift, lift, encourage, inspire, and bless. Yeah. But it said as a leader, your role is right. Something along those yeah, lines. I mean, yeah. You, but my whole thing is you can transpose leader with missionary. Yeah. As a missionary. As, as a father. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Father, yeah. As a, totally. as a elders quorum president, as a, a priest quorum advisor. That's what I'm getting at. As a member that has no calling. Yeah. Like that is still your responsibility. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. That was good. <laughs> that was good. Dang, man. It, you, th he did the whole reverse on us. I know. <laughs> Which is good. good. And it got me thinking, cause now I have a story that I need to share. Eventually this is your podcast. So <laughs> I won't take up your time. But, uh, anyways, for all those listening, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please like, and subscribe. And we will post this on Sunday. Yes. Thank you very much.